This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Man, 36 years, I've quit a lot of things. I quit playing football because I wanted to get a job instead. It looked easy, but then when you got to it yourself and you had to sit down for yourself and really think of everything, I thought it was super hard. Well, uh, he was he was just really impractical. Like I would be working nonstop and absolutely busting my ass, and then um, it would just never be enough. And it was it's pretty crazy at times, honestly. Like and it, and it is a good system when you're working together, and and sometimes it's awesome. You know, you're banging meals out, everything's going great, but when things go wrong. They go wrong, and if it's it's tough because things get aggressive and they get mean in the restaurant business. I quit high school twice, <laughs> and I it's not one of my biggest regrets because everything worked out okay. But yeah, did I wish I'd gone a different route and had been involved in high school and worked to my potential? Sure, because like I could have did so great on the project, and my mind just wasn't functioning like how it should have been. Mm-hmm. So like I just gave up too quick. Which was the worst idea? Because usually you should challenge yourself when situations like that happen. I'm a pretty hard worker, and to be at my limit and be asked for more, especially when there's nobody else to help you around or, you know, take a load off here and there, it's pretty aggravating, especially when you're getting yelled at and uh, watched down your neck and when he's not doing anything. I quit dancing, and I don't really care. That was one of the smartest decisions I've ever made in my whole life. And it, I know that, like, I, I knew I wasn't going to do that for the rest of my life, but I know people that have been drawn into it, and they were always miserable people at work. Like, I've never met any head chef or even, like, line cooks that were really loved to do their job. I don't know. It was a lot of pressure for me to go and be around other people, and it was easier for me to stay home. It was I was allowed to stay home, and it was easier, and I didn't have to navigate the teenage years with a bunch of other people. Yeah, I've heard a lot of things just because either... I felt like I wasn't good enough for it, or I just got bored of it. A dancer, like not me. I don't even go up the third floor on these stairs, so. And I felt I could have done better because I wasn't in the right state to try to fix it. I guess you could say it's just quitting. Um, I don't know, just quitting being a kid. I guess you could say. After I became 13, I just decided to, you know what? I'm gonna throw all my toys away. I'm gonna just stick to uh, video games and uh, be around. Uh, just on the TV like the, the lonely loner I am. <laughs> Previously in Greater Boston. I've had enough. I don't know what to do anymore, Isabel. I... You have 24 hours to free Isaiah. And that means I'm fighting for Redline because as fucked as this entire city is, it was started by someone who wanted to do good. There's no going back from this. It's what we need to do, Philip. Please proceed. I'm responsible for the lottery. I think you need to tell someone other than me. Redline. Redline. Dear Dimitri and Nika, It is a strange thing to compose a letter when one is dead. 
although I'm not actually writing it yet. I have a method for doing so, should the opportunity present itself. A pneumatic tube that I appear to be psychically linked to, through methods I don't understand, nor care to understand. They hint at a level of mysticism I don't personally subscribe to. Yes, despite the fact that my relationship to the corporeal universe seems contingent solely on my spiritual connection with some sphere of crystal Kabbalah, I choose not to believe in that connection. It is an interesting paradox. But a paradox is precisely what brought me here. This very letter is a paradox, as all letters are. The process of writing a letter translates your thoughts for others to consume. But thoughts are not finite, not even mine. Thoughts are complicated, and letters often fail to transfer their meaning fully. I twice previously attempted to send my thoughts to Nika. The results were mixed at best. So I'm taking my time, attempting to be more like myself, my former living self. You see, I've done something I regret. I gave up on something important. Life. I gave up because I was uncertain if I would live. And in giving up, in choosing to die the way I did, I continued on in a form of life I find most unpleasant. I'm here, but also not here. More of a utility than a person. In this state, I'm able to see more and do less. Seeing more offers me perspective that broadens my ability to create plans, but in my limited state I'm barely able to act on those plans. The few attempts I've made to create order have done nothing but create more chaos. Have my actions made things worse or better? When I decided to die on that roller coaster, was it supposed to be that way? Would things be better off if I wasn't still connected, still a utility, still interfering? Has my interference only made things worse? The answer is yet another paradox. My three least favorite words in the English language. I don't know. everyone. I have a prepared statement. I will not be taking questions. I have an announcement about our ongoing investigation into the attack on the Octagon Wood wedding. Yesterday afternoon, we took a second suspect into custody. The new suspect is, God help me, Dipshit Paletti, formerly known as Extinction Event Paletti, formerly known as Panda Bear Paletti formerly known as Earthman Paletti, formerly and originally known as Gerald Paletti. Mr. Paletti has made a full confession, both to committing the attack itself, as well as to planting evidence intended to implicate Isaiah Powell. And while it is unlikely that Mr. Paletti worked alone, I have no reason to believe that Mr. Powell was his co-conspirator. Let me say again plainly, I do not believe that Isaiah Powell was involved in the attack on Redline. Why are you defending a terrorist? Emily, why are you in the press pool? Just making sure there's at least one person here to keep you honest. Fine, whatever. But like I said, I'm not taking questions. Powell has not yet been released. 
While I am convinced of his innocence, our police investigators need to clear him to their own satisfaction before they will make that decision. To continue, Mr. Paletti was, until yesterday, an employee of local New Age publisher Third Sight Media. Later today, we will release documents showing that Third Sight Media is the primary financial backer of Emily Bestman's mayoral campaign. Slander! That's slander! And maybe you'd like to explain how you got that information by breaking into my house. I have no evidence to suggest that Bestman knew anything about the attacks. Damn right you don't. But there are clear links between Paletti's employer and the Bestman campaign. I must also point out a connection between Third Sight Media and my own campaign. In fact, my wife was Mr. Paletti's direct predecessor as managing editor of Third Sight Media. Investigators are trying to contact company management. The offices suspiciously closed for fumigation just a few hours after Mr. Paletti turned himself in. Anyone with information as to the identity or whereabouts of Third Sight Media's owner are encouraged to contact authorities. That's right, Charlotte. Start a witch hunt. Persecute a defenseless businessman. People like you are why real entrepreneurs can't get ahead today, even with a perfect business plan and a carnival of robots. Let me reiterate, however, that I am personally convinced that neither Isaiah nor Isabel Powell were involved in any way. Mr. Powell may have been targeted specifically to undermine his aunt's campaign. Oh, come on. What kind of lunatic conspiracy bullshit are you trying to sell us, Charlotte? They've got evidence at his house, evidence at the scene of the crime. I saw him storming the train with my own eyes. What are you trying to distract us from, Charlotte? Why this need to shift blame from the real culprit to me? Is it just because I'm your opponent and you can't handle that I'm winning? Or are you trying to cover up something you've already done? Like maybe how you sent your wife to invade my home without cause, without any kind of warrant? Or are you trying to distract us from just how incompetent your investigation was? You couldn't catch one subversive teenager out to cause mayhem, so you've got to turn it into something infinitely bigger, something you can justify taking so absurdly long to solve. And if you get to catch me up in the center of your tornado of lies, so much the better. Or maybe you just can't handle the fact that your wife and child owe their lives to me. You didn't get to be the big hero this time, and you can't handle not having that spotlight. If you don't get to be the hero of Redline, then no one does. Poor Charlotte Lindsay Coolidge, starved for attention because her daddy ran away. What would you even do if you found him, Charlotte? Fawn all over him? Beg him to come back to still love you? Well, when I find him, that's sure as hell not what I'm going to do. When I find him, I'll make him pay. Find who, Emily? Citizens of Redline, this is your mayoral candidate, Isabel Powell. The city of Redline has taken my nephew, Isaiah, into custody on wildly insufficient evidence, accusing him of the Octagon Wood Boston baked bean fiasco and other attacks on Redline. I see this as a blatant attempt to silence my political campaign. How did she get control of the intercom? But I will not be silenced. I want every one of my supporters, every single citizen who believes in what I stand for, to lock your rail homes and forbid entrance to any commuter. Nobody shares your home until my nephew is released. I know he's innocent. If you believe I am your next mayor, then you'll believe his innocence too. Nobody is welcomed in our homes until we feel welcomed inside our own city. Treated not as prisoners or a political pawn, but as a proper citizen with all the rights we are entitled to. 
It's time to stop being so friendly and remind people what happens when we get pushed too far. Good day. Well, what do you have to say to that? Oh, God, this is... this is... The Tree of Tales. She remembered it just then, in that moment. A dream she'd had. A dream she'd woken from that very morning. Her old oak tree sprouting from the rusting wreckage of a broken-down train. The limbs weighed down by grasping mares, clinging to the branches like rotting fruit. Emily and Isabel and Charlotte and Paul Montgomery and all of them desperately trying to claw their way up to the top to claim the single story budding from the highest branch. But the branches are weak, withered, shrunk into a spindly web of twigs and kindling. Paul Montgomery is the first to fall. His branch snaps cleanly away, letting him fall to the ground below, which isn't the ground anymore. It's the sky, and the branch he clings to is a rocket to a distant star, and somehow Charlotte knows that star is called Roanoke. And then Charlotte felt her own branch begin to give way. Do any of you all remember Max Fleischer? He was one of the pioneers in animation. Coco the Clown, Betty Boop, Popeye, they all came out of his studios. His animations were, they were strange and dark. Such bizarre things could happen. Today's cartoons, they get called random, but their randomness has a predictability to it. Even the non-sequiturs have a logic to them, an expected timing, plot structure. Fleischer cartoons didn't have any of that. You could be watching a story about a down-on-her-luck singer getting evicted by a dastardly slumlord, and right at the climax of his intimidating her, the house itself and everything in it would just come to life and beat the villain up, and that's how the story resolves. That's the climax. The world just suddenly becomes different. The rules change. I never expected to be mayor. I only ever signed on to draw some posters. That was it. But then Chelmsworth abandoned us. And I felt obligated because I happened to be there. I've been in that situation before. It felt natural to step up to be the responsible one, ready or not, like it or not. And Isabel, now she's doing this thing, shutting the doors, and maybe that's insane. But I don't know what else she should do. I didn't listen to her. She tried talking to me like a person. She did. She told me I was neglecting people, and she was right. But all I could think to say was that her ideas were impractical. Me, I said that. Look at where we're standing. Look at where we are. A migratory subterranean city. And I had the nerve to tell her that basic fairness was impractical. And then we put her nephew in jail. I don't have anything to say about what she's doing now. I don't have that right. After Chelmsworth disappeared, we found the last person who talked to him. And apparently old Paul Montgomery had a lot to say about the virtues of quitting, like quitting was something to be proud of. And the thing is, he wasn't wrong. Sometimes quitting is the right thing to do. If you don't do it badly, if you don't walk away from your real obligations, you don't just abandon all the people who rely on you, like he did. I'll never forgive him for that. And neither should you. 
I have an obligation to see Redline through its transition, to serve out my term as interim mayor. But that's the limit of my obligation. I never promised to lead the city for years to come. And I don't want to. I'm a cartoonist. I get into this for the art, not the politics. So that's it. I'm done. I'll serve out my term, but I will no longer be campaigning. I officially withdraw from the mayoral election. That's all. Thank you. That's it? You're just walking away? You coward. We were only just getting started. I want to crush you at the polls. Fine. Run away without even trying, just like everybody else. Nobody really commits anymore, do they? Stay in your seats, news nerds. I've got a statement of my own to make. I will not be taking questions. First, obviously, I deny Ms. Lindsay Coolidge's insinuations that I knew anything about the attacks on Redline. Charlotte Lindsay Coolidge is a stupid liar telling stupid lies. Second, Isaiah Powell must be thoroughly investigated. I will not give a free pass to criminals with prominent family connections just because it is politically expedient to do so. Third, this new action by Isabel Powell and her followers is clearly in direct violation of their community cars, rail home contracts, and will be subject to prosecution once I am mayor of Redline. Some will call this an act of civil disobedience. I say we should call it what it is, economic terrorism. Isabel Powell is holding our city hostage in order to secure the release of a criminal. This act obstructs our commuter-driven economic growth, costing Redline hundreds of thousands of dollars. It prevents law-abiding citizens from reaching their places of work and obstructs emergency and law enforcement services. I will take steps to relieve some of the congestion created by the community car lockdown. Although I do not live in a community car and have no obligation to do so, I will move temporarily to an off-site luxury hotel so that I may open my rail home doors to residents and commuters alike. My heart-shaped sugar cookie with pink frosting and sprinkles Ethan will remain to welcome guests into our home and instruct them in fascinating cheese-making processes. Be sure to say hello. I heartily encourage all my supporters to open their doors to respectable citizens. We will not allow our city to be cowed by terrorists. Thank you, and vote Emily Bespin for mayor. God, she couldn't even let me get out the door first. You didn't warn me any of that was going to happen. Melissa, hi. I'm sorry, I... You owe me better than that, and you know it! I still have to do my job, Charlotte. My job. That I am completely unprepared to do because I had no warning. Do you even know how many phone calls I'm going to have to field after this? How many questions I won't be able to answer? How many events I have to cancel? People I have to fire? Caterers, musicians, event planners, sound crews. I'm sorry, guys. The best gig you had lined up this year just got canceled. Nobody gets paid. No money. Nothing. Not to mention... My own job. Losing your job was always a possibility. You knew that. Yeah, a possibility. A possibility you and I were working together to avoid. Do you really think that's reason enough to keep going, just to protect our jobs, with the whole direction this thing is going in? I wouldn't have even tried to talk you out of it. I'm not even saying it's the wrong decision. I'm just saying... I'm just saying you should have told me. 
You know, or at least you should have had Gemma tell me. Gemma could have told me, right? Not really. You, you did tell her you were doing this, right? Not yet. Oh, Charlotte. What the fuck, Charlotte? How many times do I need to tell you not to curse in front Monty of- should hear this too, so I'll repeat. What. The. Fuck. Fine. I'll tell you exactly the fuck what. Do you know the moment I think I made this decision? It was the exact moment you told me you snuck into Bestman's place. Something I had to outright forbid you to do, like I was speaking to a goddamn child. A child I barely even know, so... If you don't like that, I'm doing this. You have no one to blame but yourself. So make an example out of me. Show them there's no nepotism going on. You know that won't matter, Gemma. You know this is all about perception. Then do whatever it takes. Fire me, even. Oh, yeah, fire you. Yeah, you'd like that, wouldn't you? What the hell is that supposed to mean? You come in here all fit to be tied, and you're the last person who should be lecturing anyone about giving up. I never gave up on- You did! And it wasn't when Third Sight fired you. It was months after you started working there. And rather than look for a new job, look for anything else, you just sat there and let it happen year in and year out until it got so bad, I had to watch what I said around you. Couldn't talk about my dreams because they reminded you of work. We were having a baby. I know that. And I sacrificed everything to give us the family we always wanted, and you did nothing but fucked around the whole time, pissing away your responsibility. If you will let me finish... I wasn't talking about Third Sight. What I was going to say is that I never gave up on you. Turns out that's what I've needed all along. To believe in someone, something. If you walk away from this, I won't have that anymore. You won't either. Have you even considered the people you're responsible for? You still have your job, and I still have months to go as acting mayor before the election, so- I'm not talking about me and Monty. I still believe we're going to be okay no matter what. You are a leader for the people of Redline. More than a leader, you're a symbol of what's possible. You've squeezed working, functioning democracy out of complete chaos with nothing but your own convictions. Have you considered what giving up on those convictions will do to people? (laughs) With who they have to choose? Emily is insane and Isabel is creating chaos with her boycott. Maybe chaos is what we deserve. All of what you did came from chaos. I didn't do enough. (sighs) Yes, I worked hard. I worked too hard probably, but Isabel's right. I never thought to talk to her or anyone else different from me. I just assumed I knew it was best. It's amazing things aren't worse than they are now. Things are about to get worse. It'll be inconvenient for a time, but then it'll pass for us. It's not that easy for her, many of her followers. Our little inconveniences, our sporadic little chaoses will never compare. When Isabel first met me, she tried to tell me that. I didn't listen. I thought all my hard work meant I was doing enough, but enough frequently isn't enough. So I'm throwing my complete support behind her campaign next week after I- You're doing exactly what he did. You realize that, don't you? How 
dare you say that? What's the difference? The difference is he never dealt with any of it in the first place. Well, from where I'm standing, you're both quitting the moment things start to get really tough. Get tough? Now things are getting tough? This has always been tough. And I'm sure it was tough to rant like a loon and get thousands of signatures, but that patchy-elbowed motherfucker did it. But when he finally got what he wanted, he split like a ripe banana, like a coward. So I'm a coward, is that it? <laughs> Well, I am not afraid to tell you the truth. Things are tough in Redline, yes, but things were tough long before Redline. They were tough when I was pregnant and you left me alone to go go to work every day. They were tough when I tried to talk to you and you just whine about your job rather than do something about it. They were tough when I was so lonely I went in search of this insane crap just to make myself feel normal. So I'm sorry that you just now finally started giving a shit about how I feel and what I want, but in case you haven't noticed, I don't want to do this anymore. I want out. How could you possibly support that, please? All I've done is support you. Because you're good at this. You need to hear that over and over again. No, it's not perfect. Nothing ever is. Not even us. But you're really good at this. And you're only bound to get better. And I guess I wanted to be good at something too. And I wanted that to be you. Us. This. So I did everything I could to support you because... This filled you with purpose and meaning and goodness. It pushed you into being someone I didn't realize you were capable of becoming. And I devoted myself to that person. In finding your purpose, you gave me someone to believe in. I don't believe in me. Maybe I ran a pretty good game for a while, but that's all it is. Just a story, nothing but a big lie. Charlotte, maybe. That's all any of it is. You tell the best story you can, the one that's gonna help you the most. And you tell the smallest lie possible, the one there's no harm in believing. I don't wanna lie anymore. This isn't right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. I need, to, I need to find my ball. This is all my fault because I let someone take it and I need it back. Gemma, <laughs> it's just a stupid crystal ball. It's not. Not to me. I've told you what it means to me, but I guess you don't believe in anything anymore. Here. You should have more time for him now. I'm going to find it. Do you think Boston is a racist city? Um, certain areas. I think Southie is a racist city. Absolutely. In my opinion, no. I wouldn't call Boston itself a racist city, but every city has racist people, whether you want to believe it or not, whether they're in denial or not. We used to be, right? I mean... I guess everyone has, like, their own opinions, and you can't really, like, force people to, like, respect, like, who you are and what you do or anything like that, but... 
Someone actually, someone I work with, an African-American man told me recently, we were talking about the election, and he was talking, he's, all his family is from the Carolinas, north and south. And he said, he said, you know, up here it's not racist. And then he corrected himself. He said, well, what it is, is it's hidden up here. A racist cult, a racist area, Charlestown too. I think we all have, like, Boston's pretty great all around. And then you have those little alleyways you walk past. And it's like, what's that? Oh, it's a racist Southie person. You know, it's like the Goonies, you know, they're just there. So I don't I don't think so. I mean, I I guess I don't I've never really asked a lot of people. But as far as like seeing racism, I, I don't think it's really as big of a problem here as it is in other parts of the country. And he said, but down there, you go down there and it's in your face. There's no denying that there's racism down there. So I experienced it in high school a, a little, but it wasn't it wasn't in my face. It was like, is this racism? I'm not sure. I think it is. <laughs> People are like circumventing now. They don't want to be deliberately racist, but they still think and have these stereotypes and prejudices that come out in more of their words and actions yeah. rather than, you know, they're deliberately being derogatory. Overtly racist? I don't think so, but it's probably getting more so every day. I think being a college town, a lot of people are trying to be, you know, politically correct and uh, act like they're all a bigger fan of equality, but deep down under people's skin, like over their false persona they put up, it's definitely, there's definitely some racism and some sexism and... There's only two black families on my street and then there's a Spanish family, so there's like three black families. You have some places where you go in the mall too, like any mall, and like people just automatically think like, oh, this person's gonna steal, or like, oh, this person's up to no good, or just anything like that. It just because I live, in, I was born and raised here, so I feel like I understand the people. You can have like one person out of many, but not everybody should be blamed for that one person action. Boston as a city, not really, but we do have very racist people in Boston that you can come encounter with. It's like um, the city's here, and then you drive to the countryside, and they're still in the country. If we, when we have parties, we have to be like sometimes be quiet because the people will call the police really fast on us. I mean, every 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 city has their problems, right? Every every state has their problems, whether it be with race or anything else. But as a whole, the majority, I want to say no. Yeah, they forgot slavery has been abolished, and <laughs> so that <laughs> that. I mean. You can't you can't ever like talk back to people like that. Kind of kind of just have to let them be like how they are, and you just have to be how you are. You can't let anything affect you really. Just gotta keep moving forward. I've referred to myself as a utility in this letter, and I feel I must explain. I've been used by a man who intends to advance his own career and status in this world by manipulating the abilities my unique position grants him. I've done this because he has used my emotional connection with Michael against me, and I believed the information he required did little harm and amounted to little consequence. The man who is using me views the world much like a game, and so I will refer to him as my opponent. The game that we are playing is directly affecting the lives of others. And if we extend this metaphor, the same can be said for all of us. Our opponents are whatever obstacle life chooses to throw at us at any moment. The mistake many of us make in attempting to overcome these obstacles and vanquish our opponents 
lies in thinking that it is solely a personal matter. You versus your obstacle. You versus your opponent. When you play the game, other players are affected. You cannot win chess without sacrificing pawns. Even my opponent seems to believe that in creating more chaos, he can control chaos, harness it to advance his own status in the world. What he fails to realize is that even as he schemes and plans, the gears he's forcing forward may circle back to grind him up. So what role do we play in our individual games? Do we go on the offensive and actively resist? Or do we simply surrender to chaos, knowing our attempts to control it are ultimately useless? Chaos cares little for endless strategy. Oliver West was pacing in his office, in his secret apartments on the top floor of Third Sight Media. He tried his best to ignore the crashes and rattlings from the next room. He tried to ignore the deathly silence from the floors below, where his newsroom should have been hard at work, spreading his message, securing his legacy. Couldn't understand how it had come to this. Nika in the wind, Phil questioning his decisions more with every passing day, and his most loyal sycophant in jail, confessing to crimes he'd been completely unaware were happening. His magazines shut down, tainted by their association with dipshit's guilt. But it's all worth it. It's all working. I'm winning. And that girl, that poor girl, in the hospital with burns across her back. Linda Coolidge quit the race, much sooner than expected, thanks to the inspired invective we sent with Bespin to that press conference. And Powell is tossing her entire campaign into the trash bin with this stunt on the community cars. So long as Bespin adheres to the script, her path to the mayor's office is practically assured. No one was supposed to be hurt. The beans shouldn't have been hot. The device had been mounted badly. There was a short in the wiring. An electrical charge ran through the bean canister for hours, superheating the contents until they were a steaming molten mass exacerbated by the high-pressure storage. No one had meant that to happen. Oliver hadn't meant that to happen. It wasn't my fault. Not really. An accident. And all in the service to the greater good. The greater cosmic plan. My empire will survive. Subscriptions were triple what they once were. The Boston Herald has already started quoting our predictions instead of Nate Silver's. Emily will be mayor, just as we announced. And the precognitive perspicacity of my publications will be hailed by the attuned public. And I'll have the mayor's ear. She'll owe me. We'll rise. Autumn and Ada will see what I've done for them. And then... And then... 
There weren't many people left to send a message to Oliver via the pneumatic tubes. Very few. Only one, really. Even Phil had been MIA the past few days. Well, Phil was the most exposed. He was the most at risk. He needs to lay low until the danger's passed. So Oliver knew who the message was from. It could only be Autumn. But he hesitated to retrieve the message. I should take some time off. That's what I should do. I should take a week to spend in Providence with Autumn and Ada. Do family things. Take a trip out to the... the mall, I suppose. Or somewhere else. Wherever they would like. That's what I'll tell her. Uh, that's what I'll say when I write back. Good heavens, what on earth is he doing in there? I suppose I should look in on him. In the back room, Oliver found his temporary house guest banging against walls, knocking over nightstands, kicking the knobs off of dressers. Whatever he could manage with his hands bound and his mouth gagged. Mr. Tate, please settle down. Destroying my spare bedroom won't do you any good. The house guest rushed past Oliver, knocking him aside to escape into the central room. He spun around looking for any egress or tool that might do him some good. The elevator was locked with a passcode that only Oliver knew. The nexus of pneumatic tubes was incomprehensible. But then, he saw what he needed. His own phone. He quickly began executing a familiar sequence of commands. Are you, are you typing with your nose? How are you even doing that? Give me that. Oh, you were trying to send a textual message. Don't trust Phil. Well, that would be a helpful message to get to your friend, but you weren't even in your textual messaging application. All you did was add an item to your calendar. Yes, it appears that you'll receive a helpful reminder sometime tomorrow warning yourself not to trust Phil. I hope you feel very accomplished. Now, go back to your room. And I'm going to destroy this phone. Satisfied with his work, the house guest did as he was told. Well, 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 well then. Yes, okay. Autumn. Oliver stepped across the room to the wall of tubes, the nexus of his vast network. Each tube was carefully labeled with its endpoint and relevant operatives. They'd all had operatives years ago, when this secret office had been occupied by more powerful men. Oliver used only a handful of them, and only one of them today. A tube labeled Providence, Autumn and Data. And there sat the canister, so recently arrived, awaiting his attention. He took it in his hand. He opened it. Dear Oliver, The paperwork is enclosed. It is finalized, notarized, and stamped. I wish you had been there. I wish you had come to court. I wish you had looked me in the eye in the final moment. The moment our marriage formally ceased to be. But either way, it's done. The divorce. 
That's how we refer to it, I suppose. The divorce. First was the wedding, then was the divorce. Eleven years on, I'm a divorcee now. And so are you. Well, well, technically, she's wrong, you know. I'm a divorcee, and so are you. She spelled it with two E's. The accented E and the unaccented E. That's specifically feminine. The masculine has only the accented E. It's different. They granted the child support terms I requested. You won't find it onerous. In fact, I asked for less than you've been sending us all along. I wanted it to be clear. You are meeting your fiduciary obligations to Ada. You are not supporting me. I think that's fitting. I've been awarded full custody. That shouldn't be a surprise. That's how it's been these past months anyway. By your own choice. I was hoping you'd fight me. On the custody, at least. I hoped you'd be there to fight for joint custody. Or visitation. But you weren't. You didn't show up. I won't deny you visitation, of course. Court or not, I would never deny you that. But you have to want it, Oliver. You have to ask for it. You have to make the choice to be in his life. What rubbish? What? Well, just rubbish. I'm in his life. Of course I'm in his life. Everything I do is for him. I know you're working hard to provide for him. I, I know you're sincere in that. But you're providing the wrong things. I'm enclosing a note from Ada. He would like to hear from you. But he'd rather see you. With affection. Or at least something reminiscent of it. Autumn. Oliver let the letter drop into the trash can beside the tube nexus. It would sit there until evening when he would run it through the shredder, along with all the private papers he disposed of, and then he would launch it down the tube to the recycling bin below. In the morning, it would be picked up by a collection crew who would haul it away to the recycling center where it would be properly disposed of with utmost finality, pulped and bleached and remade into something entirely new. Oliver paused a moment to relish the satisfying process of the letter's disposal, each step along the way. Then he took the second letter from the canister. This one was written in colored pencil each line its own color, the letters carefully drawn out on a sheet of pink construction paper. Dear Daddy, Mommy said that you and she aren't married anymore. That made me sad, and I cried. She said she was sad, too. And she says it's important to be honest about what we feel. So I thought about that, and there's something I have to tell you. My favorite macaroni and cheese is really the blue box. I'm sorry I lied. Also, I drew a Koopa turtle on the back of this paper. I hope you like it. Also, I got third place in my crunking competition. You should have seen me. I was magnificent. Love, Ada. Let me... Let me just sit down a minute. It's all gone to... You know what? Never mind. Never mind any of it. Oliver rose from his chair and crossed back to his nexus. Now, which lever is it? Ah, 
He pulled the lever that activated the one tube he thought he'd never use. Well, this looks comfortable enough, I suppose. Well, okay then. What's a regret that you have, and why? A regret, uh... Oh, everyone can relate to this. Dye in my hair. Like, when you dye and cut your hair so much, it takes forever for it to grow back. Luckily, mine's is growing back, but it's growing back super slow. And, like, I just wish I never dyed and cut my hair. I guess it was not my fault, I, I guess. I guess to have an IP, I guess. I, I regret that. I don't want that to... Happened. I could have done theater. Theater it was one of those things I've always wanted to pursue, and I lost it. Back in high school, I really didn't apply myself. But it wasn't like my choice. It just, it just not yeah. Right. So I like for a long saying. time, like I felt like that was my fault. Like no. I was dumb, like when no, I was no, little. No, no. So. But you know that that's not the truth, yeah. right? Yes, I do. And I drank in school. Like I did things that like you shouldn't do. I mean. In retrospect, I did have a tough life at that point. The relationship I had with my mom, I don't know if I ever told you, but my mom passed away three years ago. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, and... Um, oh, it's a sad one. Not spending more time with my parents before they died. Yeah, especially my mom. That was right in, around the same time with, you know, I was struggling in school. She actually was, uh, she had an addiction problem. So, like, I always wish I had a better relationship with her. I, my One of my regrets is um, I moved out shortly before she passed. I wish I'd been one of those daughters that called her every night and we like chatted and watched shows together and yeah sometimes I would let a couple weeks go by and that's a huge regret. And even though I know it's not my fault I always regret you know maybe I should have like been there for her or got help you know for her and whatnot and I think that that has always been tough for me but you know I do know that that wasn't in my control knowing the signs of addiction. <laughs> this is so sorry. This is a constant regret. Um, I think my biggest regret would probably be rushing into marriage. I wish I had played rugby earlier. I would have been playing for Boston rugby as well because the coach was also looking at me. We were only, like, literally the day of our one-year anniversary, she moved out to live with her boyfriend in Florida. Probably should have timed that one out a little better. I think about that story all the time, actually. Yeah. I don't want to know that story. <laughs> you don't seem like a man that has a lot of regret. I have to say, you don't, you don't carry yourself like you have a lot of regret. Uh, well, the regret's there. Have I done the right thing playing this game in the manner I've played? Have I made the right moves? Or was the right move not to play? On that roller coaster, choosing to remain alive would have meant surrendering control to uncertainty. So I died. But then my life extended beyond the parameters I previously believed possible. Certainty isn't certain. And knowing more has left me only more powerless. So, I've come to an answer of sorts. A conclusion to this letter, in the very least. I'm giving up on order. It has failed me thoroughly, and I am now attempting to surrender to chaos. I'm taking a page from Nika's book, 
and casting a message in a bottle out into the void. This message, addressed to both of you. Most of the pneumatic tubes are internal, but there is one tube that leads to a private parking space in a parking lot outside of Third Sight Media. I will cast this letter out into the world and hope it eventually finds you both. This decision was made with extreme discomfort, but everything about my current condition is uncomfortable. In death, I've discovered my own personal hell. I can see order, but I'm forbidden to create it. I feel as if I'm being punished for who I am, for what I believe in. Nika and Dimitri, my beloved siblings, this message needs to find you. You need to find each other. You need to find Michael, and you need to find me. And you need to release me from this crystal ball and let me find peace. The world is a mess. Somewhere within that mess lies beauty. But I am no longer meant to be part of its design. With love and expediency, Leon. Excuse me. One sec. I need to confess a crime. Oh yeah? What'd you do? I... Well, it's kind of important. I'd rather not have to... Oh, are you hearing this? ...mysterious notoriety after successfully stealing $200,000 after hijacking a plane in November of 1971 and subsequently skydiving over the Pacific Northwest. Officials are still keeping the real identity of the That's infamous big news. My dad always figured he was dead. He was a paratrooper in the war, said his chances were slim given the conditions, height, speed of the plane. Uh-huh. Anyway, what are you confessing to? Probably got nothing on the scale of old D.B. Cooper, right? Wait, what? Turn that up! Lady, you want to watch TV or you want to confess? That's my brother. Turn it up, now! He's probably in his 90s, but... In good health, all things considered. The compound is huge. He has lots of weapons and barrels and parachutes. Why do you think he released you? Part of me thinks he wants people to know. I think he's nearing the end of his life. And the idea of, of living in seclusion? Lady, they got a TV unknown, in the window of Murphy's. Really Why don't you go stare at that? If he died up there, it's possible nobody would have ever discovered anything. And I think part of him wants everyone to know. What's it feel like to be the man who discovered D.B. Cooper? Oh, I... I don't know. I... I hadn't... I mean, this is huge. You're about to get your 15 minutes. What do you plan to do with it? I honestly haven't thought about it at all. Not until now. I don't know. At the moment, all I want to do is go home. Come on, lady. Are you confessing to a crime or not? Nope.
Every day, it feels like he wakes next to a roaring fireplace. He can feel the flames through the hull. That's how hot the island is. As if his boat were docked a mile from the sun. It's a mostly pleasant way to awaken, consistently warmed by an unseen force, if not for the odor. He puts on suntan lotion and his full body slicker before going out on the deck to fish for meals. There are schools that swim nearby, attracted by food debris that manages to fall away from the Spectacle Island fire, small collections of remnants not torched by the flame. Pollock, winter flounder, American shad, cusk, fluke, Atlantic cod. Each school swims with tiny differentials. A certain underwater bob or a specific whisk from a set of flippers, establishing who they really are as a community. What did it mean to be a fish among fish? Why travel in schools? Who was the leader? Where was he leading them? The winter flounders are the most recent species to appear. He likes them more for what they symbolize than their taste. The air was crisper again, and it was easier to be anchored to the endless burning island when the temperatures dropped. It takes him an hour to catch something, after which he debones, fillets, and heats his breakfast with his rod now leaning towards the island of fire. Something is clamoring against the side of the hull. Could be a large shell, even a large shellfish of some kind. He peers over the side. It's a bottle. A wine bottle, sealed with a cork. Trash. Both the bottle and the person who threw it into the water. He once lectured a tourist on a whale watch for the remainder of their shared trip after witnessing him dropping a Dixie cup into the waves. He's no longer welcome aboard any vessel owned or operated by the New England Aquarium as a result. One place among many where he is no longer welcome. There's something appealing about the insistence of that bottle. How it refuses to waver. How it fights the waves lifting it, carrying it, hoisting it against the side of his ship as if some kind of bookend to the celebration marking its maiden voyage. He fishes it out. There's a note inside. Or a letter. How antiquated. How cliché. How romantic. He shakes out the long letter and reads. Dear Dimitri, I read the letters you sent to Leon. From Oregon. From somewhere out I in the ocean. I figured you'd have a nice little vacation. I figured you would come home. I just assumed you were as much of a coward as I, I am. At the moment you gave up on me. Twelve hours from leaving forever. And you still tried to convince me to drop everything and run away. But after six weeks, eight weeks, when it started to come clear that you had really gone this time. Had really left us behind. But I'll do what you do when someone is out at sea. I will put it in a bottle and carry it along the red line to Charles and I will toss the bottle out into the Charles River and hope that somehow it carries this message out to the right part of the ocean wherever I you are. I am fucking pissed at you. you get this. Love, Nika. He lowers the paper. The silhouette of the Boston skyline wobbles in his blurred vision, buildings beaming orange from the rising sun. He thinks of his students... He thinks of Claudia. He thinks of Charlotte. He blinks once more, and it all snaps into focus. My God. 
It is time. It is time for my return. And Paul Montgomery Chelmsworth, the man most know as the mayor of the Red Line, prepares for his judgment, prepares for his atonement, prepares for his journey home. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Van Driesen with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. In order of appearance, this episode featured Braden Lamb as Leon Stamatis, Summer Unsen as Charlotte Linzer Coolidge, Sam Musher as Emily Bespin, Jessica Washington as Isabel Powell, Alexander Danner as the narrator, Tanya Milojevic as Melissa Weatherby, Lydia Anderson as Gemma Linzer Coolidge, Mike Linden as Oliver West, James Oliva as Michael Tate, Beth Eyre as Autumn West, Kelly McCabe as Nika Stamatis, James Johnston as Dimitri Stamatis, and James Capobianco as Paul Montgomery Chelmsworth. Also featuring Julian Danner as Ada West, Julia Shafini as the Red Line Officer, Sarah Golding as the TV News Anchor, and Eli Barraza as the TV News Interviewer. Interviews recorded with real Greater Boston residents. Charlie on the MTA is performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Tiedi. Train Jam, Farewell to Nig, and Child Grove performed by Adrian Howard, Emily Peterson, and Dirk Tiedi. Tam Lynn set by Dirk Tiedi. Dream Music by Jeff Van Driesen, Drums by Jim Johansson. Golden Riddles, Echoes, and Points, Act 2 by Lloyd Rogers. Some sound effects and music used from public domain and Creative Commons sources. Isolation by Kevin McLeod. Special recording thanks this season to Andy Goddard and Misha Stanton. Huge thank you to all our Season 2 guest stars. You can catch Beth Eyre in Wooden Overcoats, Hector vs. the Future, and the Beef and Dairy Network. Julia Shafini is the co-host of the brilliantly funny and spookily informative Spirits podcast. Sarah Golding is the co-host of the Audio Drama Production podcast, and appears in several wonderful audio dramas. And Eli Barraza is the creator, writer, and main voice actor of the fantastic new audio drama The Far Meridian. Please do check those out. Episode transcripts will be posted online at greaterbostonshow.com. This season is dedicated to our gal Friday, Melissa Panino-Peterson. Thank you for everything you do for us. Also, I drew a Koopa Turtle on the back of this paper. I hope you like it. Also, I got third place in my crunking competition. You should have seen me. I was magnificent. Love, Ada. This pauses for me burping. Yeah, I could tell. I could hear the burps. Okay. So as we're going through, when you get to a period, that's a good place to pause and take a breath. And not rush forward too quickly, okay? Okay. Also, can I tell you something? What's that? I only burped when I got to a period. So what? they helped me pause. That's true. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. I'm Carlotta Botox, actress, thinktress, and influenceress, and I'm spilling all the tea on Hollywood. <sighs> Name. Carlotta Botox. B-O-T-O-X. Spell the first name. It's actually Botox. B-E-A-U-T-O-X. 
Of course it is. First name? Botox is actually my last name. My first name? Okay there, who's on first? I know it's your last name. Now I want you to spell your first name. Oh, Carlotta. It's C-A-R, as in the automobile. <sighs> L-O-T-T-A, like a lot of talent. <laughs> wow, just wow. There's also an umlaut. The f- is an umlaut? It's two dots and it goes over the- Okay, Carlotta, two dots. Just take a seat over there, we'll call you when we're ready. Meanwhile, we'll burn our loins. Check out the Carlotta Botox Chronicles, available now on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher.